Hi everybody, welcome to The Black Goat. Today's episode is a little bit different from usual. It's an interview with psychologist Rink Hoekstra of the University of Groningen. In 2012, a funny thing happened to Rink. He received two emails on the same day. One was a decision letter from a journal rejecting a manuscript he had submitted based on the recommendation of both reviewers. The other was an email from one of the reviewers complimenting the paper and congratulating him on a job well done. What happened next is the topic of our episode. We recorded our interview with Rink on October 26, 2018, but we've been holding on to the interview in anticipation of the incident being covered in the press. There's now an article out by journalist Kathleen O'Grady in Science, and you can read it at the link in our show notes. Our conversation with Rink starts off talking about a specific incident, but it also broadens out into a larger discussion about editorial practices, transparency, and accountability. Why is it important that reviews should stay intact and unchanged? What is supposed to happen when there's funny business with an editor? Is that what actually happens in practice? Alexis, Samin, and I found this discussion to be very enlightening, and we hope you'll agree. And now, our conversation with Rink Hoekstra. Hi, everybody. We're here with our guest today, Rink Hoekstra. And just for a little background before we get started, we're recording this on October 26th. Uh, we're going to be talking with Rink about a particular incident today um, that is, uh, we're anticipating not releasing this recording until after it's been covered by journalists, uh, but we wanted to hear the background and, and what what Rink discovered, um, but we also want to have a larger discussion about publishing, uh, editorial ethics, things like that, so we're plan is to kind of hear the story and then talk about the larger implications. And maybe to get us started, Samin, do you want to give us the background, how you found out about this whole thing, and then we'll turn it over to Rink. Sure. So uh, another reason we're recording early is because I'm in Honinga with Rink right now, so that was more convenient to record while, while we're in the same place. Um, so I met Rink about a year ago. Um, actually, it was interesting because it was the day, basically, that I was I had to decide whether to let Slate name me as uh, whatever person who Todd Heatherton grabbed their ass. And uh, so I, I was traveling with Rink and I didn't know him at all, but we had like long conversations about whistleblowing and things like that. And so then later, like in the next few days, he told me this story, um, which is pretty independent, but it's interesting that there were similarities. And I thought it was, it just blew my mind. And so it's something we've like kept in touch about and um, I've kept hearing about from him. So I thought it would be a really cool thing if he was willing to have him tell the story on the podcast. And so I'm excited to have him here and for the story to soon be public, hopefully. Um, otherwise, you won't be hearing this. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, it's public. Um, so yeah, Rink, do you want to tell us the story? Sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, this is this is a really weird story. And I think it's the weirdest story I've encountered since being a scientist. Uh, or maybe definitely within my academic career. Um, So this happened around six or seven years ago. Um, I was, I finished my PhD, but uh, I was still trying to get some papers published from a PhD project. And well, I submitted one of the papers to educational and psychological measurement. And well, I liked the paper, but okay, I 
couldn't uh, I was at the beginning of my career and I had no idea whether or not this would be considered interesting but it took a while so I thought at least it's under review that's good uh, and then um, at some point and um, I don't know about chronology chronology exactly but at some point I received uh, in within a couple of hours uh, I received two emails one was about the rejection and it was well a pretty um, simple rejection in the sense that there was no chance of resubmitting and I was a bit well of course I was disappointed and a couple of hours later or earlier I don't remember the order uh, I received an email from somebody I knew Fiona Fittler uh, and I met her at a conference or a few conferences actually and um, well she knew about my work and apparently she was one of the reviewers and uh, she thought this paper that she recently reviewed uh, was mine uh, and that happened to be the case and she sent me an email like hey I like the paper I recently reviewed what happened with it I haven't heard about it since and uh, so well I replied well that's a coincidence I just um, um, I just got a rejection so too bad and and well I'm glad you liked it, but apparently uh, the, the editor did not. So, well, so far so good. And I said, well, apparently you haven't heard about it. So here's the decision letter of the editor. And well, I don't know what for for us European it's uh, Europeans it's a bit hard to communicate with Australia. So it was we were not really in communication, but it was always a d day in between. So the next day I, I arrived in my office, and she apparently had time to see my email. And I saw that I had like seven or s or eight emails from Fiona, and I was a bit surprised because, well, we interacted sometimes, but not eight times a day. So I thought <laughs> there is something serious going on here. And the the well, you s you saw her um, or in the emails, and I read them in order. You you saw the process of her realizing that something very fishing was going on because first of all, she said, "Well, thanks for." Um, sending me this review it's strange that I didn't get it but okay uh, thanks for seeing now the other review and because there were two reviewers um, and the second email is wait a second this this seems weird uh, I did I send this and and the third email was this is definitely weird I have I did not send this or not exactly this somebody changed my my review and well I don't remember exactly what was in the fourth and the fifth but she got angrier and angrier <laughs> and uh, and rightfully so if that was what really happened so but by then we had no idea what happened we only knew that apparently the decision was based on a review that she didn't send or at least that was altered to some extent and the changes were rather substantial so in one of the things and I and now I have to look something up but one of the uh, see uh, maybe I, I can just read it. Uh, she started with uh, I'm generally s uh, sympathetic to statistical cognition. That's the field we're both in, or, and we both write about it. Um, and that's what I received. Sorry, I, I, I told the story in the wrong order. Uh, I received I'm generally sympathetic to statistical cognition. She wrote I'm very sympathetic. Well, that's a slight deviation, but it's strange, right? I, I mean, it, the tone is different. Um, the last sentence of her first paragraph uh, was, uh, the one I received was, this one still needs work. And her sentence was, this one is a very good, ex sorry, this one is a good example. Uh, and then the tone is completely different, right? I mean, 
Yeah, uh, this one still needs work doesn't appear anywhere in her actual review. No, so that she, sentence was added. She she didn't say it and uh and, and actually she was rather positive. So actually, so sorry, quick yes. quick clarification, Ring. So does Fiona know what she said in her review because she saved her review? I know yes. some people do reviews differently, like yeah. I saved Samin my was also surprised about that, but but yeah, I, I I always save mine, I'm and, and apparently mine from now on. Yeah, and apparently <laughs> she 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 did too, because otherwise we would have never found out, or or at least we wouldn't have any proof, because then she would have said, "Hey, this is weird. It doesn't feel like mine," but she right. wouldn't have any proof. Now she had, so she that was one of the emails I, I couldn't remember. She she sent me her review, and uh, well, it was easy to compare, and it was obvious that there were some changes made, and and it was not that. I mean, she highlighted the parts. It was. Maybe, maybe, but but substantial enough to completely change the tone and the tenor of, the, of 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 her review. And there were two reviews, and I don't remember too much about the other one. This this all happened in 2012, so it's quite a while ago. the The first reviewer was not very positive, I remember, and she was rather positive. And now it seems like she was more or less neutral. So instead of the editor having to decide based on a new a positive and a negative one, now it as I saw it, uh, he had to decide, make the, his decision on a neutral and a, and a negative one, which is an easier decision, of course. Um, so then the question is, how could this happen, right? I mean, how can you suddenly end up with a different review? So, um, well, we had the evidence in our hands because her, uh, her review was different than the one I received. So she, of course, approached the editor and he says, well, this is really strange. Uh, let me take a while uh, or let me take some time to, to figure this out. And he didn't take long, I believe within two days or something, but I might be wrong here. It could be three. Um, uh, he uh, replied uh, and let me look it's up. Above. It's above, right? Uh, and he had, well, it's one of the, that's it. no, I think this is it. Uh, this is one of the most astonishing emails I've ever heard and most blunt one and, and most, well, almost insulting one, I would say. Uh, thank you again to bring this matter to my attention. I have in investigated the problem further with our tech group. Apparently this was a technical issue, which sounds mm -hmm. weird, right? I mean, there's nothing technical so far. And have at least a bit of a sense of what might have happened in this instance. And now, this is the crucial sentence. I am told that on very rare occasion, when the system is undergoing maintenance and several editors are simultane simultaneously processing papers, the links between individual reviewer documents submitted to the journal and forwarded to an editor can be muddled. This apparently occurs, it gets worse and worse, this apparently occurs more frequently when strings of characters across documents bear overlapping similarities. I mean, I could repeat it and it still doesn't make sense. I mean, this, this, yeah, is, this is completely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and nobody in their right minds would ever believe this, I assume. I mean, that's why I call it insulting. I mean, apparently... Especially because there was no jumbled text or anything. No, it was like no. whole sentences removed, whole sentences replaced, or like words that right. still made the sentence make sense. No matter how optimistic changed. you are about AI or something, this, this <laughs> doesn't really work like this, right? I mean, it, it was... It was a grammatically and semantically coherent yeah. computer error. Yeah, is what, right. What it would have had to yeah. be. All in yeah. the direction of making it yeah. less positive. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> adding a whole new criticism that wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I mean, this, 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 these are a lot of words, but they don't, don't. There is no truth to, uh, behind it. Of course. I mean, you don't have to be a detective uh, or a skeptic to not believe this. At least. 
I, I told this story multiple times and nobody ever thought, yeah, this is this sounds plausible. But you may disagree. That right. would be an interesting <laughs> discussion now. I bet there are people who think it would sound plausible. I'll, dis- I'll disagree with that, but, but there's nobody who it <laughs> Wow, but, but it, yeah. it... I've just seen people make excuses for powerful people so much that now I'm too cynical to think everyone will see yeah. that this is obviously a lie. Okay, so the, so the editor sends you this explanation. You don't find it credible well, so you're it, it, no, 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 at wait. this point he, he sends this only to fiona so he he she she, oh, she, only she, to fiona. she approached okay. him and well what would you do if you were an editor with the re- with the, the the paper you reviewed or with the the author of the paper you uh, you, you edited uh well of course he wanted to be the problem as small as possible so he got back to me of course and said oh i give you another chance please resubmit and uh, then you get the correct files. Apparently there was a problem. And then I received uh, the same files, but now, uh, or a s- well, one review was the same and the other review was the one I already received from Fiona. And then I could, with minor revisions, uh, repair the things that were suggested and uh, it was published pretty fast uh, afterwards. So it went from, uh, st- uh, straight up rejection to minor revisions within three days. And so you, at this point, an early career researcher, get a paper in an important journal, and so you're supposed to be happy and let it go, right? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and to some extent, he his, his, his uh, gamble was correct because we are here and still nothing happens, so, and, and we are now yeah. six and a half years later. Um, I mm-hmm. wasn't. I can. I can tell you. I wasn't happy. It felt. It felt very weird. And I, I seriously discussed with my supervisor. Do we retract this paper? Should we? Shall we submit somewhere else? But, but, but then again, and and well, I'm always criticizing too much pragmatism or opportunism in in science. I I, I took the pragmatic road and and I accepted the offer to resubmit. And 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 I think there is something to say to it because. I did acknowledge the things that were said in the review, so I got the process I think I deserve. But on the other hand, I can it can be said that I was given a pass a little bit because, well, the editor didn't want her to have anything to do with this paper anymore because the sooner this was this problem was gone, the better. So, so in that sense, the the mm-hmm. bar for this paper might have been lower. I don't know. That's that you can you can look yeah. up the paper and see whether. This shouldn't have passed peer review, but but uh, but uh, to make a long story short, I accepted um, the offer to resubmit, and and uh, well, eventually, of course, I was happy that it was published. But it always, f- I, I, it had a bad taste. It felt strange to have it published there. And by telling mm-hmm. this story, you're taking the risk that people will think of this paper as having an asterisk on your CV. Sure, sure, it, it could be. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it could have so been that you got two positive reviews. Yeah. Uh, I don't for know. All you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, my yeah, for all you know. Look, I, I'm now speculating. I don't know what happened, and 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 I do know that the one responsible came up with a bullshit story. So I imagine he's he's at least to some extent responsible. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come up with this story. But uh-huh. what exactly happened, and whether the the other review was changed? Of course, I, I can only speculate. I have no idea. But my my guess is that there were two contradictory uh, reviews and that this was a relatively safe 
apparently not, but a uh, safe uh, way of making his decision easier to, to sell. Right. I think that so that's what happened. Yes, sorry. I have a question about that. Um, I know that we're sort of speculating about something that we can't really answer at this point, but I'm wondering, like, if you if you want to reject a paper and you get one, let's say, one negative review, let's assume that the other review is exactly how, as it was written, and then one that is neutral, why don't you just override the neutral reviewer sure. and say, like, yeah. I reject it anyway? Or you mean one, one positive. positive. Great. One the positive, second one was positive. Yeah, a positive and a negative. But oh, still, sorry. Right, right, right. Still, you, yeah, you're, I'm you're, saying neutral, yeah. like the version that he was looking at. But yes, yeah. right. One I, positive and one negative. I would even sure. go further. Even if there are two, two positives positive. or two negatives, right. he could to decide the opposite and then he would be yeah. fully in his right. That's his task. Right. Uh, so, 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 yeah, maybe. Yeah, sorry. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, I just want to get the make sure we get the whole story on the record because I think and then I want to I definitely want to talk about this. But can you just to sort of wrap up the actual sort of what happened part of this? Um how so so this is now 6 years later you've taken this to a journalist do you want to say a word about sort of why like why why did you bring this up now and why are we talking about this now yeah and did you or, do anything else in between yeah right or 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 why didn't they do anything about it sooner and that that could also let's be a, beyond, yeah, uh, that's a, a the next less question. friendly way of uh, <laughs> of asking it but but it would be a very justified question and and uh, of course when preparing for his interview I, I i thought about this and we discussed it already simin and i um and i i'm i'm afraid i don't have a very good answer so what happened i can tell you and then i can tell you about what i thought about it um uh, i initially fiona contacted uh, the publisher so she contacted sage and they were saying that they were going to investigate this uh, they never got back to her so somewhere in the process, um, I don't know, but but nothing happened. So um, uh, so in, in initially I was waiting for that, and then it was one of those situations where something, when it's longer ago, is less urgent, and you think, yeah, this is something I still have to do. I I I have papers that. I, I need to publish, but if it's longer ago, they are not on my priority list anymore. And, and before you know it, it's two years later or something. And, and I think it, with this case, it, it was a bit like that. We, we, I think when Fiona and I were in touch, we always mentioned this, like, yeah, we should do something with it, but, but we didn't really know what, and uh, we didn't know how. I mean, apparently we, um, we failed to, to get anything at Sage, uh, well, this, this this was the end uh, of the discussion with with this particular journal. So, I think we didn't have, we didn't know of a right way to approach this, or or and 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 maybe also, and that's also rather pragmatic. But we had other things to do, and 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 we moved yeah. on, and and I think we made a, a an, an educated guess or something about the the the, the odds of this. Are having any effect, and the amount of time we had to spend to 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 do something with it, and and I think we, for pragmatic reasons, chose like well, the odds of something happening are slim anyway, so why not just move on? And 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 I think this all happened very implicitly. So we never there was never a point that we decided okay, we're not going to proceed. It was just that we 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 did other things. I think that's 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 not a very I mean, I, I 
would have liked to have a better answer, but that's probably it. And and then it was also always in the back of my mind, like at some point we have to do something with it. So at one point I was at a conference and he was supposed to be there. So I then and I suddenly realized when I was there. So then I thought, okay, how am I gonna approach him and what am I gonna do? And and can I just say, hey, let's have a coffee and talk about it and what happens? And 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 when when I finally. Uh, found the courage to say, okay, now I'm gonna send him an email because apparently I was there. I realized that he was sick and he, he already left conference or something. Uh, or he, he, for some reason, I realized that he wasn't there. So, uh, and then that option was gone as well. And, and uh, well, actually until Simin and I uh, talked about it, I, I never really did something with it or ne took any concrete steps. Uh, and then I realized, yeah, this this may be something that we still s could do something with it. And even though it's years later, that doesn't really matter. The case is still the case. And and and, and he's it, still editor of the journal. And 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 yes, I found out. Uh, I think I looked it up. Uh, that I found out that he was still the editor. And I thought, well, and it seems. I mean, this is again speculation. But if you, this doesn't seem something that you do once. So I expect this mm. to happen more often in this particular journal. And then. If he's still editor six years later, then or five, it was back then. Uh, then maybe there is still um, it's still a good idea to do something, and yeah. um, so and and times were changing yeah. as well in the sense that there was more uh, attention for for such issues. I think and and uh, mm -hmm. also social media uh, made things possible that did not seem possible like five or six years ago. Uh, and so, so I thought, well, maybe maybe we should do it. And then I contacted Fiona, and and we and ended up. And you got up a Twitter account. And, and I got a Twitter <laughs> account. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you convinced me to do that. Yeah. yeah. So 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 let's. I I think Alexa's question. Yeah. I mean, let, let, so let I I don't want to try to speculate about what this specific individual was thinking. Right, but maybe. Generally. But I think Alexa's question, in a, in a general sense, like, is a really yep. good one, right? So so editors. Don't ha the editors aren't bound to what reviewers no. say, and in fact, a lot of us, I think, you know, uh, um, myself included, and I, I suspect all four of us here, believe that editors should be active decision makers. They shouldn't just be vote counters. So, like, why why would an editor? I, I think there's two sides to the coin. One is why wouldn't an editor do this since they can just make the decision they want anyway? And the flip side of the coin is. Um, uh, why it might be worth talking why this is a problem given that you know um i mean i think there, maybe there's an obvious answer but i think it's worth just pushing on that because i think some people might look at this and say yeah look the editor can do whatever they want they don't even have to send it out to review or they can pick and choose reviewers that feel positive or negative so why is it a big deal if an editor um, changes a review Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I so, mean, I, I want to yeah. say, like, it's a lazy way, right, so that you can write a shorter decision letter if the yeah. reviewers agree. But right. it seems, mm -hmm. like, effortful to me to try to edit a review. So I agree. That I, catch I was just thinking the, that. I'd rather more, write a decision more letter effort. than, yeah, revise a, a Well, review. but if you, because this was the answer I was, was uh, would have given as well, uh, and it's speculative, uh, speculative of course, but... Uh, I don't know. So, so if, if if I'm sitting here with a, with a stopwatch, you have no moral obligation mm -hmm. whatsoever, and I give you a piece of paper and and just 
make this a, a, a neutral uh, it is a positive review but make it neutral yeah, maybe or uh, now write uh, 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 an editorial decision based on the, both the positive and a negative one yeah. look I mean uh, I can't even imagine and, and, and I don't, don't know of course but um, if two uh, if the two are pointing in a ne negative direction you don't even have to read the actual paper because then it's relatively easy to just reject you say I, I, I mm -hmm. agree with the reviewers it's not good enough period you don't have to read it yeah uh, but if you have a positive and a negative <laughs> one you do have to read it I mean of course we all agree that that's something you should do anyway and I'm not saying he didn't do it I don't know but uh, from a very pragmatic point of view if you're only interested in saving time this might be a very yeah. uh, n well yeah. good yeah. approach. The to point it. that you could actually skip the reading it, and if you were willing to write a decision letter so short that just says both reviewers had you know important concerns, and so I'm rejecting it, you can see the reasons why in the reviews. That would save you a lot of time yeah. if you didn't read. Yes. It. Yeah. 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 But so okay, so the so so let's talk about the flip side. Why? Why is, why is this? Like, and I'm not, I'm not playing devil's uh, advocate, but I, I think it's really important to, to get to like, what's the, what's the actual, like, is this just like, oh, this is like shortcut and a minor, you know, like to, to go to the, the Simonson at all, is this jaywalking or is this robbing a bank? Like what's the underlying ethical issue here? Because look, if, if here, let me just put this argument out there. If, if, if an editor decides they're going to reject a paper and they have the authority to reject a paper, is it really that big of a deal if they change not the substantive feedback, but just the tone? They take all the, you know, all the things, this is good, this is bad, but they just change the so overall in this case, evaluation. Right. So change both, so yeah. just to be clear. But well, yeah. but, okay. but yeah, but okay. Yeah. But, but hypothetically. Yeah. I mean. Like what's, let's not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying let's yeah, yeah. argue no, 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 about no, no. whether it's, it's, it's bad. I'm saying it. let's, let's. Let's get to the point Why, of what yeah. about yeah. that is problematic. I mean, yeah. I could imagine, sorry, Alexa, you wanted to say something. Uh, I was just going to, I mean, I was going to try to start to answer Sanjay's question, which is that, like, I, I do think that if you're focusing on really the outcome of the decision, he could have come up with that outcome without um, changing the reviews and things would have been the same for you. And so it's like, if you're thinking about um, the outcomes for you, there's no difference, right? Um, Not sure about But that, I think, but... okay, well, let's put that aside for a second. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, the unethical nature of this comes into the lack of transparency and the misrepresentation of the process, right? So you're sent an email about other, like somebody else's review um, under the impression that you are seeing these two independent, untampered reports on your work, um, and you're given no reason to think otherwise, so you're being lied to. Um, then the reviewer is being misrepresented as well and isn't even aware of that, except in this odd case where, you know, um, she happens to like be able to read the review that you were given. Um, and then when you interact with the editor to get, let's assume that this story about a technical difficulty is a lie. Um, like these are the problematic just for the aspects sake of argument. in my opinion. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But are these, well, yeah, are these like, why is, like, it wrong to is lie? that a, but is that, but is that a white lie? No, no, no. I mean, granted it's wrong, but is it, a, is it just like a white lie? Or is it? Is this like? Is there some important principle so, here? And I, I think ahead, the. Dad. I mean, Alexa, you you sort of touched on like the transparency, and and for me, that's where it starts to. It starts to get 
concerning that this is, you know, in some sense, I don't think we usually think of it this way, but in some sense, an editor bundling the reviews with their decision is a form of accountability, right? So an editor has free reign to go against the reviews, but when they do that with the reviews included, um, they're making it clear to the the author that that's what they did, that they the reviews said one thing, but I made a judgment of the other. And that is a form of, it's a form of transparency. It's also a form of accountability because if an editor makes a regular habit of doing that, um, you know, people mm-hmm. people can raise the question, is this editor exercising good or bad editorial judgment? Right. Um, and and if, if the editor is manufacturing the impression that they're representing an expert consensus, not going against it, right. they're, they're gaining credibility. So if, I think that's for me like, you know, because as I thought about it, I thought editor kind of I started with like editors have free reign. They can do what they want. Um, somebody could be doing this without any outcome being different. Why is it a big deal? Are these just little white lies? Yeah, and and that's different. where that's where I get caught up on it. Most authors actually read the reviews and actually like that influences how they think they should revise the paper for the next journal. And it influences mm-hmm. how much confidence mm-hmm. they have in their skills as a researcher and so on. So I think it's a mm-hmm. little bit too simplistic to say it has no consequence for the author just because the decision would be the same if he'd rejected it without tampering with the reviews. Yeah, that's fair. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And, and basically you answered your own question. I mean, the, those are the yeah. reasons why <laughs> I, I also think that, that this is what we should be doing. I could even make the case that, that we should have a different system than the peer review system in the first place. I think there's a lot wrong with the system, but since we have it, we should should take it seriously and, 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 and take reviews seriously. And another reason it's not just so, a white so lie is because with <coughs> the editors have a lot of power. So lying when you're yeah. in a position of a lot of power is worse than lying right. when you're at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. So, so let me let me throw another question out there, which is is and I'll give an example of this. Um, is all tampering or all I mean tampering is a pejorative word. Is all changing reviews wrong? So, and the example of this I'm thinking of, I've talked to editors who said that they've received reviews that ha- made some good points, but also sometimes just had overly aggressive language, um, mm-hmm. you know, insulting things, whatever. And that they've uh, sometimes just cut those sentences out, and but left uh, the what they viewed as the substantive part of the review intact. So is that okay? No, not without the and consent then, of the if, reviewer. Exactly. You can yeah, go to the reviewer and you say. can ask, but it's never okay without the consent of the reviewer. And if they're a good point, let's say you can't get the reviewer to change it, then you drop their review. You can still make those points in your decision letter. You've learned about those points. So what if you learned about them from a reviewer? Like it may make it harder for the editor to make the case if they can't cite a review that also backs up their case. Then find another reviewer and you know look for reviewers who you think have similar expertise or similar perspective. But you should never put words in someone's mouth or take words out that changes the overall statement. And I think nine of th- out of ten times, if there is aggressive language and you do approach as an editor the the, the, the reviewer. They will probably acknowledge, yeah, sure. Uh, sorry, I, I, I changed that. I mean, so that maybe I'm too optimistic. I've also heard of editors in chief altering their associate editors' letters without getting their consent, without telling them, and signing the associate editor's name to the letter, and that's also really not no. okay. Even if it's because of offensive language or whatever, then you either get the person to change or you write it under your own name. If you're going to rewrite it, write it under your own name. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm rather so, principled yeah. here. I would say that that. They actually, 
I mean, I, I, we can debate typos or something, but I, I actually think not even those should be touched. Uh, but okay, I, I could yeah. be convinced that that's a good idea. But to, to, give, to give an example, which is a minor example, but I always uh, sign my reviews. I hate it when they take my name off. That's, a, that's not uh, a small thing, I think. <laughs> well, but it doesn't yeah. change what I said, right? Yeah. So, uh, but, but, but it like happens if regularly. Like, uh, if I cite myself in my review, which I try not to do, but imagine I had cited myself in my review and then I sign it. Whereas I cite myself and I don't sign it. I think those two look quite different. Mm-hmm. So it could matter. Yeah. To the re- right. Anyway. Yeah, but I want to go back to this point, Samin, because I, uh, you're taking a very strong stand. And, and I think actually, re- you know, anyone can, can chime in on this. But uh, so you receive a review. It makes some substantive points that you think are relevant and that it ends with, you know, this lab and research group is a bunch of incompetent people uh, um, they're making the field worse. So some really p- just sort of straight up pejorative ad hominem language. Um, you go back. So you're saying you can't cut that. You have to go back to the reviewer and say, would you change your review? Let's say a reviewer doesn't change it. Now you're saying, well, you can write a decision letter where you use the arguments that they made without citing the review. Isn't that a lack of transparency? You can say that, that a reviewer who... You know, you could explain the situation. You could yeah. say, that "I got a review. The review so parts okay. of the review were inappropriate, so I won't. So I, we didn't come to an agreement of a review that I was willing to share. So, you know, I can't cite it. But these are not necessarily my ideas. These come from another reviewer. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I mean, this. Yeah, I'm, I, I think the. I mean, the larger issue of like the ethics of the peer review process and and the integrity of the peer review process I think are super interesting because there are I think there are these multiple priorities right where you want review accountability of reviewers you want accountability of editors but you also want it to be a substantive process and so yeah you're saying that the the accountability is important enough that it's too easy it's also a slippery intact. slope like I don't trust an editor to understand to, I don't trust every single editor to have good judgment about what's tone and what's substance and to only ever edit tone. So there's that. But I still think it's wrong, even if they had perfect judgment. I also want to clarify, just because people might get the wrong impression, I've never received a review where I thought something needed to be changed. I've received reviews with typos, but I've never received a review where there was a tone problem. People talk about this as if it's super common and it might be in other subfields. That's never happened to me. So yeah. This is all happening. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I've, I've heard of editors having that happen, but in, in rare cases, it's like it happened to me yeah. once kind of thing that, that they'll say. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that's really important context. So, like, yeah, what? how does this, how does this, I mean, so this this incident that, that you described, Rink, like, um, and you, you said that you're concerned that the, you know, the editor's still in place and this doesn't seem like the sort of thing you do once. And obviously, like, without an investigation, you can't know that. But let's let's just assume that that's at least a reasonable concern. Like, what does this say about responsibilities beyond the editor? So the fact that there's a journal that's received a complaint, um, Mm -hmm. it's got an editor in place who's able to do this, et cetera, et cetera, like... And, and people listening, probably a lot of, I, I know we have a lot of grad student and early career listeners who have like no idea how journals even work. And so, you know, pu- but but there are other actors in this yeah. process. So this right? journal, there's a publisher, there's a governing body, well, usually some kind of So this of journal like, doesn't have a, 
like society or public I don't believe it does, but it is a Sage journal. So to Sage yeah, yeah, but some journals. So like SPPS is a Sage journal, but it's owned by societies, right, right, and right. there's a publication committee that is my boss. So if somebody had a complaint about me, they could go to Sage, they could go to the publication committee, they could go to the executive committees of any of the societies that own the journal, and they could go to the committee right. on publication ethics, Cope, because our journal is a member of Cope. Maybe none of those would actually do anything, but that's the question. Yeah. So at, at a typical journal, there's supposed to be oversight, right? The editor is supposed to be accountable to somebody. And as, as Samin was saying, at society journals, societies will have, uh, you know, a governing body or something. But, but even when it's not a society, jur- society journal, the journal itself, the publisher, is supposed to be exercising oversight. And, and so I think what this raises, and what we really don't know, because there's not a lot of open discussion about this is like how what kind of oversight is typically exercised you know because the the publisher and I mean I have no idea what Sage did but the publisher has a lot of incentives as well right they want the journal to remain prestigious people to subscribe to it yada 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 Mm -hmm. so they don't necessarily have an incentive to investigate everything that comes to them but like what kind of what does it say about the the oversight um you know, and I mean, on the flip side, maybe some someone will could easily come back and say, "Look, maybe this happened once. The editor monkeyed with a review once. They made some dumb excuse to get out of it, and they learned their lesson. And it never happened again." I think you know so that's possible too, but we we don't know, right? No. I think that should still be a fireable offense. I don't mean like losing your job, but I mean losing your editorship. That's that's yeah. not a mistake you make from. It's not a no. right. It's not a mistake of omission. It's like an active act that you presumably knew was wrong when you did it. And as to this oversight issue, I think that we should talk about, and you already did, about whether there is an incentive for the the ones doing the oversight to to actually investigate the, uh, this. And and I think you already gave the answer. I think there are few incentives in that direction. I mean. Uh, keeping this as small as possible is in, uh, seems to be in everybody's, except for sciences, but in everybody else's interest. Uh, so th- there is, by the way, a very, very simple solution that doesn't even need uh, oversight, which is uh, send the reviews and the decision letter uh, to everybody involved. And this is standard practice for most journals, but apparently not for all. And And maybe this point was not explicitly made yet, but this could only have happened because uh, this journal has the policy of not doing that. So you do not even have to investigate many cases. The only thing as a publisher, for example, uh, to, uh, that a publisher, a publisher has to do is make sure that this rule is in place, that all uh, reviews and the editorial decisions are sent to the reviewers as well. That solves this narrow problem, but I think in general there's just not much accountability for editors. Sure. and. So I've noticed in the last few years there has been more like whistleblowing about bad editorial behavior, but I've also noticed a lot of excuse making for editors. And I think a lot of this is very charitable, very generous people wanting to say, well, I don't know what it's like to be an editor. It's probably hard. It's probably thankless. Like maybe you slip up sometimes. I just what I hope one thing that I hope will come from you telling this story is that more people feel empowered to say like no this is not okay and you know what maybe editors make mistakes but maybe editors who make certain kinds of mistakes or too many mistakes shouldn't be editors it's not like not being an editor is not like you know being sent to prison it's a privilege and it's fine to say look you just fucked up too much 
you your term's mm-hmm. over. Yeah. And I don't think it. I don't think we should protect or make excuses for editors as much as we do, even though it is a hard job. And but like certain kinds of mistakes are not mistakes or misconduct, and and we should treat them as such. And it doesn't mean you can't have compassion. You can still have compassion. You can still say like, you know, I feel bad for that person that this happened to them. <laughs> but like that doesn't mean they get to still be editor. Mm-hmm. So this is basically uh, the only reason why I think it's important to investigate this and to talk about it. I'm not interested in this particular person at all, but I think we should be talking about these issues. I think it, it would be very nice if others felt empowered, as you said, to come up with their stories. And, and not because we want to uh, investigate individuals, but be, but because we want to have a system in place that, that actually works and where they're corrupted the odds of... of, of people being you know, corrupt to some extent if they are as slim as possible. Yeah, and I think the, I mean, I think all of these things are facilitated by the lack of transparency, right? So if you're if you're in a position of power and you know nobody's watching, it's, it's you know, not ethically justifiable, but it's certainly human and tempting to say, look, I could do this thing that feels small to me, that, that makes my job a little easier. Um, if you're and if you're an author like in in your shoes and there's no transparency um you have no way of knowing did this i mean you can have your suspicions but you have no way of knowing did this just happen to me and in fact you would you almost had no way of knowing it happened at all it was just by pure coincidence coincidence. but but then you know then you don't you don't know like does this happen all the time did this just happen to me um you know did this happen with the other review on my own paper you know all those things um, and so, uh, yeah, with the lack of transparency, everyone, like you, you combine a lack of transparency with generous assumptions and, uh, mm-hmm. there, it's just, and, and with human corner cutting and those three things together, um, can, can do a lot of work without any like really like big, evil, malevolent intentions. They just kind of, they all sort of sure. help sure. each other out. Yeah, it's exactly. And, and sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that it's uh, the experience of like trying to understand how this could be like a technical glitch or something reminds me of like the instance of fraud that happened here where I was like looking through the um, the data files and trying to figure out like, is there some like technical way that these could have been like these two files could have been combined or whatever. Um and yeah, it's like that is a really dangerous combination when you don't when you can't see the process um, and maybe like you don't have the technical expertise to decide whether something is plausibly a technical issue or not. Um, and you want to like assume the best about the person involved. That gives you a lot of leeway. <laughs> and there's another parallel, which is I think university ethics committees or whatever they're called that are supposed to you know be the people you can go to when you suspect fraud or misconduct also don't necessarily aren't as responsive just like publishers and publication committees and so on don't always take these things seriously Mm -hmm. yeah in the in the u.s at least i don't know how this works in other countries but in in the u.s it's pretty typical that the um the part of the university that investigates scientific misconduct reports to the vice president of research who is the person in charge of making sure the university is bringing in grant money and so on the one hand, there's the incentive in the U.S. system that if you're caught by federal agencies doing things wrong, they can make the threat of taking away your money. But also, if that threat exists, there's a pretty strong incentive to make stuff go away. Um, universities 
don't, you know, in the U.S. again, I don't know how this works elsewhere, but by default they don't uh, create an independent body to to do that. There are sometimes auditor offices or things like that, but the primary body for scientific misconduct reports to the person who needs to bring the money in. Which is why mm-hmm. we're so thankful that there are journalists. <laughs> and, yes. I mean, like, basically now, if you want to report a case of fraud, you have to go to a journalist, not to a committee or whatever. And I think it's true for editorial yeah. misconduct as well as for yeah. other kinds. Yeah, yeah maybe. I, I don't know whether we did it on purpose to, to approach a journalist now eventually, but, but we didn't even... We could have gone to ethical committees of this person's university or something. We didn't... I, I don't think we even considered that because... And that's actually a similar thing with the Todd Heatherton thing that you and I were talking about mm-hmm. when I had to make the decision that, you know, like there was a university investigation going on. And so part of my decision making was, do I trust the university investigation to not only like weigh this evidence appropriately, but also transparently? Like I thought that this was information that maybe deserved to go to be public. Um, and I didn't. I didn't trust, based on past university investigations of all kinds of misconducts, I didn't trust that that mechanism would do the evidence justice and do the public justice. And I would feel the same way if I was reporting a case of research misconduct or editor misconduct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we should probably wrap this up, I think. Uh, um, but I want to thank you, Rink, for joining us and, and for talking about this on Welcome. the record. Yeah, and, thank you. And, um, and to our listeners, if if you're hearing this, uh, <laughs> you can uh, we'll put a link to the story in the show notes. And if there's no story to link, then you're not hearing this. But uh, um, thank you, folks, for listening to the Black Goat, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>